inside. I can't believe it, but this is our 10th lesson. It's the end of the series. I'm going to miss you all so much. God willing, we'll be back. Who's that, Arnold Schwarzenegger? This is it. I'll be back. Well, you know, God willing, we'll be back in uh, February or whenever, and I'll let you know on, online. And uh, we'll start a new series. And uh, you'll probably want to know um, what we're going to study. I do too. You're welcome to give any suggestions about what we might study next time. Uh, so far, so that um, I've never taken any of the suggestions. <laughs> All right. So today, in today's lesson, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and 3, we're covering a lot of ground in a hurry, but in 2 ch uh, chapter 2, is about false teachers. Believe it or not, uh, in every era, all the way from all the going all the way back to uh, Moses' time, uh, the Bible warns about false teachers, and of course, um, there was no more false teacher, worse false teacher than Karnak the Magnificent. <laughs> all right, since we we all know that it would have been an incredibly funny video, give me ten seconds of uproarious laughter. <laughs> Okay, so if you have your Bible or electronic device, turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. And it's about false teachers, as I said before, and uh, ever since God revealed himself through the writings of Moses, going all the way back to 1400, 1500 B.C., uh, the prophets and like Moses and the apostles in the New Testament uh, warn about false teachers. Uh, and of course, the earliest warning is by Moses in Deuteronomy 13. And Moses wrote to the children of Israel, be careful, be on the lookout, guard yourself against uh, false teachers because they come to seduce you from the way of the Lord. They come to seduce you away from the commandments of God. Uh, and their, uh, their motivation, of course, is their own agenda, their own personal greed and ambitions and power, etc. And, of course, the antidote would be to be armed with the truth. Knowing the truth, then you know who these, you can identify these false teachers from their message. And, of course, eventually you'll know them uh, because of their lifestyle. Uh, Jeremiah, in chapter 23, he had particular, the prophet Jeremiah had particular trouble with these guys. He would come and give uh, the very uh, negative, very judgmental message from the Lord that was true. God is coming in judgment. Uh, and these false prophets, they wanted to act like everything was cool and that wasn't going to happen. Uh, so in Jeremiah 23, 16, Jeremiah said, Thus says the Lord, he's quoting God, 
Do not listen to the words of the false prophets that are misleading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination. They're just telling you that it's God's way, but it's basically their own way. This is what the, they want it to be, and it's not from the mouth of the Lord. Because, uh, as I said, Jer Jeremiah had a real uh, negative message, and they just didn't want to hear it. So they made up their own message, and of course, uh, that's what people continue to do today. And you know, when you look at today, I mean, who better personifies what we're talking about here, what, what Peter is writing about, than the televangelists? We've all seen them, all gotten a good laugh out of them. I uh, looked online, you know, at uh, the scandals of the televangelists, and, and went through, for years, with some guy named Reverend Fred Smoot. And Fred Smoot had the Church of the Miraculous Babblers. <laughs> uh, there was Begging Bob Larson. There was Gene Scott. I think we have a picture of some of these guys. Some of you, I'm sure you saw Gene Scott. I, w I would actually watch him for entertainment. He would always have some incredibly wild hat on, and, and he was known, he was trademarked, you know, he would have, he'd have a phone right there, and he said, uh, all of you that, that need to be giving me money, you have the number on the screen, and I want that phone to ring. Now, he'd go, start going through the Bible story, and then he'd go, and then Moses and the children of Israel got to the sea, the Red Sea, and the Pharaoh came up with his army, and then you know what happened? I'm not going to tell you to the phone rings. <laughs> I swear he would do that every time. And, and maybe enough, the phone would ring. He'd go, yes, okay, I'm going to switch you over to my people, you know. And then he'd say, and then, you know, God, he was really a piece of work, this guy. Uh, who else we got? Ernest Angley, I'm sure you saw that guy. Uh, we made the mistake of watching this clown uh, one time uh, with our children, and for years my daughter went around going, because he was known he was, the way he said Jesus. He said, in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and uh, he was known for praying on the elderly. You know, they'd stumble up there with their canes, and they had the hearing aids and everything, and he would literally whack them in the ears, just whap, like that, and they'd go, you know, kind of like stunned, you know, and he'd go, can you hear anything? And for the first time, they could hear something ringing in their ears. They'd go, we hear something. <laughs> but he was really something. But this one, look at the, look at the jet that the guy bought. They paid, they sent money to, to this guy. I mean, he was the biggest charlatan. It's amazing that people fall for this stuff. Who else we got? You've, I'm sure you've seen this guy. Uh, uh, 60 Minutes got him. I, was, I happened to be watching it. And what they did, they came and hid in the, in the crowd at one of his deals where the, you know, they come across the stage and they're actors all healed, a whole line of them, you know. And they waited 60 minutes, waited for the people that, to come off. And they said, you know, what is your name and everything? We'd like to call you and interview you. And they got this whole list of all these people that were supposedly healed and called them during the next week. Guess how many of them were actually healed? Goose, how did y'all know? Zero. 
And they said, but what was all that about? What did you do? And he, they, they basically said, we were so emotional and the power of suggestion just overwhelmed us that we just, you know, we got this spiritual high from it. And they said, well, are you mad at the guy? Are you, no, no, we, we're so happy that we did that. That was a wonderful thing, but, you know, to, to have that happen and, and blah, blah, blah. And they were, you know, you just go, what? No, what? And, uh, but he was exposed big time by, I think, 60 Minutes some time ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this is your pal, Robert Tilton. ABC got him. Uh, they went around and followed him and caught up with him. And he, he had all kinds of rackets going. And one, the one they really uh, got him with, got, he got in big trouble about, was one of his deals was... Uh, showing all these poor little orphans at some orphanage that was down somewhere in the Caribbean. All these poor little children, for the first time they're getting a, you know, three meals a day and they're getting schooling and learning how to read and write. And he said, if you give the money, we can keep this orphanage going. So they, the ABC went to the Caribbean in search of the orphanage. <laughs> it was just a little you know, fake address deal. And he was pocketing all the money. Oh, I can't believe it. Oh, I'm sure that shocks you. <laughs> but uh, they also had some pictures uh, that they did of him practicing his facial expressions and also practicing the, the speaking in tongues and everything that, so to make it sound authentic and everything. And what else? Oh, he's crying Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, you know, they, they uh, followed him around with a private eye and uh, caught him in a prosti house of prostitution, if you remember. Oh, Jimmy. Uh, well, he sure looks sincere, doesn't he? Jim Baker. Uh, the guy on the right is Jim Baker. This is what 10 years in prison does to you. <laughs> Isn't that something? Uh, yeah, Tony, uh, she, she wore some makeup. Yeah, yeah. Who else we got? That's it. That's it. Uh, the, the, I mean, there's a whole, we've just touched the list. Uh, one of the guys I, I was looking at was Creflo Dollar. He's, he's on TV today. I'm sure you might have seen him. And I looked him up. His net worth is $80 million. Just think of how many people sent that guy money. And he's a big preacher of the health and wealth gospel. That you know, that the whole deal that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. So uh, he you know, like he is, yeah. Uh, and so there's a whole parade of these guys, and there always has been. From the very beginning, the very first thing that was written, Moses predicted it. And all through the history of the Bible, we've had these uh, false teachers. And so 2 Peter 2 uh, says, But false prophets also arose among the people, talking about the history of Israel, just as there will also be false teachers among you. The church will also have false teachers. So be uh, on your guard. Uh, because they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. In other words, they don't just come, come around and go, uh, we're crooks. They come around and they act like they're very sincere and have your best interest at heart. They have good personalities. They got great salon quality hair. They, you know, 
great clothes and everything. They look, they look good. Uh, and their message is very positive. Right? It's what people like to hear. And so uh, be on the lookout. Watch out because they, they want to lead you astray. And they will secretly induce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, Jesus himself. And, and what does he mean by that? Uh, we know uh, experientially that what they've done with Jesus is they've changed who he really is. They, they use the name Jesus and claim to believe in Jesus, but they believe in a different Jesus than is in the Bible. Uh, one of the jokes I saw is, how do you hide money from a televangelist? Place it in your Bible. They never go there. <laughs> I've actually heard Cruffalo Dollar say, what's the best nation in the world? Donation! <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, uh, uh, in chapter 2, he gives... Uh, a whole list of what they do and what their motivations are. And you see it, verse 2, sensuality, immoral, sexual immorality. And it's amazing how many of these guys have got caught up in sexual immorality. There was some guy not too long ago named Ted Haggard who was caught with male prostitutes. He had a church up there and a TV show. He was in... Uh, Colorado Springs, and he also had a TV show, and they caught him with male prostitutes. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Uh, but they all seem to have the same issues. You know, they all seem to be overly uh, into immoral sexuality, and they also, of course, are incredibly greedy. He says in verse 3, they're greed, they will exploit you uh, with their false words. And verse 4, uh, what will happen to them? If God did not spare angels in the, when they sinned, but cast them into hell. So going all the way back to the time of Noah, uh, the angels that were leading people astray, uh, God cast them into a special pit or a special jail then. And so he goes through, and not only that, you know, if God didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah, and if God didn't spare the world during the time of Noah and destroy it by the flood, how much more or how much uh, clearer can I be than the false teachers today? Well, there will be consequences, that the judgment will catch up with them. God knows what's going on. They're going to get theirs is what he's, what he's saying here. Um, so he goes through each one of those things uh, that God is going, that God already judged and that he is certainly going to do now. And then beginning in verse 10, he, he goes and lists all of their, uh, all of their immoral behavior or their characteristics, you might say. Uh, and their condemnation, therefore, is incredibly deserved for all these reasons. Their arrogance, he says in verse 10 through 13, their behavior, their sexual immorality, and their greed in verse 13 and 14. And in verse 15, what is their motivation? What's their incentive? Personal gain. It's all about what they want. Their money, their greed, their pleasures, their power, etc. Uh, so, uh, also, uh, they have fake teaching 
Verse 16, he talks about Balaam and the madness of the prophet. And of course, you go back and look in the Old Testament, the story of Balaam. And he was hired, given a big pile of money, to curse Israel, right? Uh, and so he uh, tried, and God would not let him, and you know the story. And so then he came up with plan B, which is, well, if we can't curse Israel, then here's what you need to do. You need to corrupt them. And so they, that's when they sent the Moabite bikini team in. To, to, the, the, the truth, you can go back and see the story. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of making it more descriptive about the bikini team. But they sent the most beautiful women in, in Moab in uh, to, uh, you know, do what you think sexually to Israel men and completely corrupted them and led them into idolatrous practice during their sexual encounters. And so he said, uh, this has been going on forever. Talks about the way of Balaam in verse 15 and the madness of that prophet. Uh, so th this is nothing new, and it's going on then, it's going on now. Uh, Paul, uh, he actually... In his last letter in 2 Timothy, he told Timothy, he said, now, you know, I'm handing you the time. One thing you need to know about the church, there's going to people, be people that are going to enter the church and from within try to destroy it. And he said, and they're going to have a message and people are going to be attracted to it because he says it tickles their ears. In other words, it, he's going to have a real positive message and tell people what they want to hear. Uh, and so they're going to be attracted to it because of that. Uh, it's not the truth, but it's something that people want to hear, that real positive message. Uh, very much like the guy down in Houston right now that has like 30,000 people, you know, come into his church service down there. Uh, and, and it's all about, because it's a totally positive message, and God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, and you can do it. Uh, it would be great, if, you know, to hire him for your um, company, for your corporation, to teach the power of positive thinking. But he claims to be teaching the Bible. Uh, he's never opened a Bible if he thinks that that is the, the, the message of the Bible, of the gospel. So... Uh, I, there was, I saw one picture of him that we don't have here, but it showed an aerial view of his compound that he lives in, and he's got this huge compound, this massive mansion, and tennis courts and swimming pools, and it's, you know, 20 or 30 acres. That is just ridiculous. You know, he's got several, both he and his wife has his and, his and her G5 jets, you know, I mean, it's just crazy, but uh, that, that's what's going on. Exactly what, what they predicted, you know, would happen to the church at, just as it did during the time of Israel. And, of course, the, the, the greatest example of what he's going to say, look at verse 21, it's kind of, this is kind of a riddle, but he says, uh, they're going to get theirs, they're going to get God's judgment. And he says, not only that here on earth is going to be bad for them, because he said, for it would be better for them to have known the way of righteousness, uh, not to have known the way of righteousness, than having known it, to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. So God is going to hold them more accountable 
for having heard the gospel, for, for knowing the truth, and still uh, teaching something else, preaching something else, misleading people in that way. And it has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit. So even though they had the truth, they had what was good, they didn't hold on to that but left it, and if they had that, they would have had a good life. But now, having gone away from it, they're like uh, a dog returning to his vomit, in a sense, going back to the dirt and the filth that is the, the untruth of what they're teaching. Or a sow, after washing, returns to wallowing in the mire. The perfect example of that, that all of us know, that we all know, the perfect example of that is in the Bible, in the New Testament, uh, lived with Jesus for three years, heard all of his teaching, saw all the prophecy of the Old Testament about the Messiah fulfilled in Jesus, saw all the miracles that he did. He had all the information. You could, it's just incredible. First hand. And who was that that fell away in spite of that? Judas Iscariot. Judas. He had it all. And it would have been so much better for him to not have even known it because he ends up being the one who sent, you know, pointed Jesus out, who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And he ended up hanging himself. He felt so guilty. His life was so ruined and traumatized by what he'd done. And that's exactly what Peter's talking about here. And so, what are we to do? Hold fast to the truth. You've got to have the knowledge first. And it's amazing that how many so-called or professing Christians know nothing never open a Bible, don't know anything about what it says. They just kind of see the church and see the Sunday services as an uplifting thing. And it's a social deal. They see their friends and neighbors there. and you know, But they don't know anything. So the first thing I would say, you need knowledge. You, know, you need to know what the truth is. Uh, and then secondly, it's the whole fast of that. Even no matter how enticing their message is, you need to hold fast to the truth. And just think like I mentioned Jeremiah earlier. Think how hard that would be. Jeremiah is saying you need to repent. You need to go back to the truth and, and quit all this stuff you've been doing, the idolatry and the greed and the sexuality and the whole deal, and come back to the truth. Or... God is raising up an army in Babylon to come destroy you and turn you off into slavery. They didn't like that message. That was a very difficult one to digest, right? People don't want to hear that. They want to hear the positive stuff, you know? Uh, and so uh, that's the problem that we've got. You've got to be able to take the truth, digest the truth, right? I mean, it's a difficult, you know, the first uh, part of the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why would you need a Savior if that wasn't true? So it's got, you've got to realize your shortcomings and your need for a Savior before you'll receive Him as your Savior. Well, people don't like being told they're sinners. You know, I mean, you get my response is usually, 
well, I know there's some evil people out there, but not me. You know, and if, then if you get them to admit that they're not perfect, you know, because you know them, they, they don't dare try to say that they are because you know them well, uh, then they say, well, I know old Joe Blow, and he's the finest person in the world. You can't believe all the good things that he does and gives to and that blah, 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 and he's an atheist. And I know a lot of uh, Christians who, you know, aren't good people. You can't trust them. And I go, hold, hold the phone. What did you just do? He said, huh? What did you just do? You just made yourself the judge and jury. Who alone is the judge on Judgment Day? God Almighty in heaven. You dare take his place and save old Joe and condemn these people? God is the judge. And God has provided the means and basis of salvation with his son. And you want to take somebody who has declined, rejected the son of God, who got up on the cross and suffered and died for him, and you want to say he's perfect. Excuse me. <laughs> All right. So the second part of our lesson today, the, uh, these false teachers naturally were stirring up the church from within. You know, when we looked at 1 Peter, it was mainly a message about persecution and trouble coming from without the church. All the people who were against Christians, who were against the church, uh, and particularly the Romans, Nero, those guys. But 2 Peter is about... Uh, the problems they were facing from within the church. And these are the false teachers who are actually members of the church or claim to be Christians, you might say. And one of the things they were doing is saying, hey, you, you have this hope and this spiritual perspective that Christ is coming back and this world's going to end and he's going to set up this wonderful kingdom of God. Well, time has been going on for thousands of years and nothing's happened. And, and you're going to base your life on that? You know, uh, there are naturalistic laws that are not going to change. The sun's still going to come up in the east tomorrow morning. And everything, all the naturalistic laws are still going to be there tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. So the false teachers were trying to mislead them about the hope they had in the future. What did we say hope was uh, the last couple of weeks? Biblical hope is different than worldly hope. Worldly hope is, I hope I win the lottery. But biblical hope is a certainty. Biblical hope in f is faith in the promises of the future. You hope, you have a hope for what's coming, that Christ is coming back, the second coming, and going to set up the kingdom of God. And so really what this is saying, what they're saying is, Jesus is not coming back. Jesus is not coming back. Well, it turns out that every book in the New Testament, 25 out of 27 books, uh, mentions the second coming of Christ. A few passages I think we have somewhere about that, hopefully. Acts chapter 1. When Jesus ascended to heaven, they were, wow, look at that. 
he actually rose into the clouds and disappeared. And an angel appeared to them in verse 11 and said, why are you looking up there like you're shocked? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He'll come back down. Just the second coming of Christ is a certainty promised by God. Uh, what else we got? John, when Jesus uh, at the Last Supper was telling them, I have to go. And they go, oh, no, you can't go. And he says, yeah, I'm going. Uh, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to prepare a place for you in heaven, then I'm coming back for you. I will come again and receive you to myself, and that where I am, you may be also forever. So Christ is coming back for us, got a place for us in heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Uh, we haven't experienced it yet. We're waiting for that to happen. In Titus, Paul's writing, and he says, we are looking. How do we live? With an expectancy. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. We live with that perspective and that hope and that outlook. And Colossians, when Christ, who is our life, means everything to us, is revealed. In other words, when he comes back, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. The resurrection, uh, bodily resurrection that we will experience as well. And then in Matthew, Jesus' own teaching on the Mount of Olives, right? Uh, the last week, the, the Passion Week, Jesus was teaching about the second coming, and he says in verse 29 to his disciples, they had said, how will we know it's you? You know, where are you going to come back to, and how will we know it's to you? And he says, you'll know it. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the trouble of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky. Incredible cataclysmic stuff going on. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And so what is that sign? He said earlier, says it here, says it again later. The glory of God. Uh, the glory of God throughout all of the skies, all of our Earth's atmosphere, will witness the glory of God. And so wherever you are, you know, like when you have a huge thunderstorm, whether you're in Waxahachie or Dallas or University Park, wherever you are, if you have some huge thunder and lightning, you see it up there wherever you are, right? And that's the way the glory of God will be when Christ comes back. You won't miss it. No one will say, gosh, I wonder if that was it. <laughs> no, I mean, you can see uh, the glory of God will be so bright that it will blot out the sun and the moon as if it w was not there. Okay? And you will see, whoop, go back. You will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power. You'll see Jesus coming with all his angels. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. So he says in verse 44, for this reason you must also be ready, be prepared. Expect it to happen. Don't be shocked. Because the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. It'll all be, everything will just be going on like it always goes on, and then it'll just happen. And he'll be shocked. 
What else? That's the next one. That's the next one. That's it? Okay. That's the next one. Uh, yeah, okay, Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, so what, what will he do when he comes? He will separate uh, the saved people from the unsaved. So the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glory stone, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So it's, a, it's an image, just like a shepherd comes and separates sheep from goats, Jesus will separate as the judge uh, the sheep from the goats, in other words, the saved and the unsaved. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Uh, so the sheep, and the, meaning the saved people, will go into the kingdom and the goats will go to destruction. Uh, then in Revelation uh, 1, and uh, uh, John sees the vision of the glorified Christ in heaven. And Christ speaks to him, and, and the angel that's talking says, Behold, Jesus is coming with the clouds. In the future, Christ is coming back, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Even the, the Jews, Israel, will see him, and they go, That is the Messiah. And, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn after him that that, that happened. Uh, so it is to be, Amen. That's it. Okay. So uh, all through from Matthew all the way to Revelation, uh, we hear of, they wrote about the second coming of Christ. It's one of the major theme of the New Testament. And so that's what Peter is going to be talking about here in chapter 3. So he says in, in chapter 3, this is now, beloved, the second letter I'm writing to in which I am stirring up Remember in uh, 1 Peter when he said, I'm writing to stir you up, to remind you, stirring your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So ever, it was the second coming, the Messiah, is, was predicted in the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus talked about it. Now the apostles in the New Testament are writing about it. Know this first of all, that in the last days, and uh, the writers of the New Testament, they thought, they felt like they treated the church age that we're in now as the last days. Uh, they didn't know when Christ was coming back, whether it would be tomorrow or 10,000 years from now, uh, but they said this is the last era or epoch. So know that mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and their own agenda. And they'll say, where is the promise of his coming? Give us some evidence of this. For ever since the fathers, all the patriarchs and all the authors of the Bible fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Nothing's changed. But when they maintain this, it escapes their notice. In other words, the author's saying, nothing's changed. Have you forgotten what God's done in the past? That the heavens existed, first of all, that God created everything? And then destroyed it, verse 6, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. Have you forgotten that God's already judged the whole world once? But the present heavens and earth, the way it is now, 
by his word are being reserved for fire. It's not going to destroy by flood this time. It's going to be by fire, by intense heat the next time. And right now, it's being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. It's coming. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved. So he's talking to the church. That with the Lord, here's the thing. You'd like for it to happen tomorrow, but don't forget God's perception of, t- of time. God has a different perception. He exists outside of time. See? Time is a created thing in that sense. It only pertains to planet Earth, the life we lead. So don't let it escape you, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient. So first of all, the, the, uh, the joke on that, uh, a guy's talking to a minister and he says, well, since a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day, that means a penny's like a million dollars and a million dollars is like a penny, right? And, and the guy, uh, God says, yes, true. And the guy says, then can I have a penny? And God says, sure, just a minute. <laughs> so can, a thousand years. <laughs> okay. And so here's, verse 9 is a very important passage. I want you to focus in on that. Don't miss this. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness. But what, what is going on? Why didn't he come back? If it was up to me, he'd come back, like, you know, as soon as we walk out of here. I'm ready. Take me home, Lord. Right? But here's the deal. God is actually loving and patient And he is waiting for all to come who will come. Only God knows who that is and how long that will take. So as he writes here, God is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God is patiently waiting for everyone to come to Christ and giving ample opportunity for anybody that's interested to come. And, of course, God knows who and when. And he knows that day in which it will be too late. But right now, he's giving plenty of time, plenty of opportunity. And, of course, if you have small grandchildren or or whatever, you're thankful for that. Because there's plenty of time for them to come to Christ. Or maybe your good friends or whoever. Some, maybe somebody you're witnessing to. There's plenty of time because God is patient waiting for them to come. Pretty awesome when you think about it. He desires everyone to come, but they have their free will to come or not come. And he will not overrule the free, their freedom of choice, right? So, when will he come? Well, he tells you in verse 10. We're the only one that knows now. (laughs) Verse 10 tells us, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away. How does a thief come? Unexpected, unannounced. You know, you're shocked. 
You thought the doors were locked. But that's how unexpectedly, when you, when you least expect it, uh, and Jesus, going back to that a sermon on the Mount of Olives, said people will still be getting married and still getting up and going to work and they'll still be doing all the normal stuff that they do. And then, boom, it'll happen. And you'll go, whoa, that happened? I wasn't expecting it. Just like a thief in the night. And when that happens, after Jesus comes back and separates the sheep from the goats, what will happen? The heavens, and by heavens, we're thinking that's where God is, but it's the same word. It means atmosphere in Greek. So God is in his atmosphere, and we are in earth's atmosphere. And so what he's saying is, uh, here, this earth and this atmosphere will be destroyed. The heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Before the atomic bomb and nuclear weapons, you would have never been able to understand how this could even happen. But it could literally, we could, we could literally do this to ourselves. But God's going to do it. It will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. It's works. All the evil that's in the world that we all long to be rid of. All the depravity and the evil and the murder and all the mayhem and the war, all of that will be burned up. So what's the application? What's the application? Verse 11 and following. Since all this is true, and this is going to happen, and this earth is going to come to an end and be destroyed, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? How should you react to this? How should you live knowing that this is true? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. We know this is coming, so the next question should obviously be, how shall we then live? How should we respond? Uh, we should respond, we should live now in keeping with that reality. I believe this is true. Uh, I therefore will anticipate Christ's return and have that perspective. Uh, one of the uh, parables he told after the Mount of Olives, uh, Larry actually had a whole list of those parables, but I blew right through it. <laughs> he does all this work, and I just, I just go right past it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so th these are the parables he told to tell them the point of this, his application then was be ready. Know that it's coming, and you be ready. Have your life sorted out and be ready. Uh, and so the ten virgins, all these are uh, parables, stories about people that need to be ready. Um, and then the, let me talk for just a second about the parable of the talents. This is, this is so clearly about the second coming. Jesus tells his disciples, look, this, here's the story. A landowner had these servants, and he went on a journey and told them, I'm going to be gone for a long time. 
And while I'm gone, I'm going to give you uh, something to do to serve me. I'm going to give you a talent, which is like 80 pounds of gold or silver. So it was a ton, I mean a whole lot of money uh, back, at, back then to take care of. And you will have the obligation, the duty, to take care, invest wisely the money, my money, that I'm giving you uh, to, to take care of. Uh, and so he gave each one of them a different amount. And then when he came back, a long time went by, sure enough, he came back, and the first guy comes up and he says, you left me with one talent, and I made you another, you know, I, you left me with five talents, I made you another five, or something like that. Uh, and so God, or, or Jesus in this case, uh, rewards them greatly. And the next guy, you know, I've, I've invested wisely and I made this, you know, with what you gave me. And then he gets down to the third guy, that scraggly looking creep in the back. <laughs> he says, what did you make? And he said, well, I just got your original talent here. And he goes, what? You didn't do anything? He said, no, I buried it. Why would you do that? He said, because I knew you to be a crook. I knew you to be dishonest. And I knew that you would be too severe in your judgment of me if I happened to lose it. Now, what's wrong with that? We're talking about Jesus here. Right? So the guy, and also the graciousness of the master in the story. This guy does not know the master, is the whole point of that. He doesn't know anything about his character or who he really is, clearly. And he was too involved in his own stuff to even bother. And of course, the master makes that clear by saying, really? You could have just put it in the bank and, and you know, made interest. You didn't even do that. You were too busy with your own stuff to even do that, so you just buried it. And so what's the point? We have been given gifts and talents to use while Jesus is gone, awaiting the second coming. We are living in the church age between the first coming and the second coming, and the Spirit of God has given us each gifts and talents to use to serve him and glorify him in the meantime. And we will be judged by that and rewarded for it. Right? And so we expect him to come back, and part of that expectations is to live appropriately. Let me conclude with this. As you know the story, 1942, General MacArthur left the Philippines, the Japanese attack, and he left the Philippines, and he said to the guerrilla forces that were going to stay there, he said, I will return. Hold out, keep fighting, don't give up, because I'll be back. And that, believe it or not, they continued to hold out against the enemy. They fought the Japanese for the next two years. Sure enough, October 20, 1944, MacArthur returned and defeated the Japanese and rewarded all the people that had been fighting for him. If MacArthur had that kind of credibility to move those people to keep fighting, how much more should we have the credibility of Jesus Christ in serving him 
until He comes back. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you for first and second Peter, how awesome it is, and the truth that is told to us through your writing in your word that you inspired Peter to write. And I pray, Lord, we'd take it to heart and we'd be convicted by it and we'd live our lives for you expecting your return. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey. Hey.